Tested is sponsored by Duke Health, home of the Pandemic Response Network, helping communities stay safe and connected during the COVID-19 pandemic by partnering with local school, business, and faith-based organizations to launch COVID-19 system support programs in their own communities. Learn more at pandemicresponsenetwork.org. Tested is also sponsored by Hungry Harvest, delivering farm-fresh produce and kitchen staples to your door starting at $15. Every delivery fights food waste and supports local hunger-solving organizations. HungryHarvest.net. I'm Dave DeWitt. This is Tested from WUNC, a look at what the day's challenges tell us about where we are, what we believe, and who we want to be in North Carolina and the South. Today, ethics and equity. The pandemic has put all of us in the position of making moral and ethical choices pretty much every day, from how we pick up groceries to whether we send our children to in-person school. But the latest ethical COVID conundrum, sorting everyone into categories for when they will get guaranteed access to the COVID vaccines. How do you create, you know, a pattern of distribution that satisfies a a variety of interested parties? My name is Stephen Banco. I'm a professor of religious and ethical studies at Meredith College. Most of us make ethical choices on the fly, without any thought about the teachings of John Stuart Mill or Jeremy Bentham. But where we see a daily decision we need to justify quickly, Professor Benko sees a teaching moment. So he put it to his students. Who should get the vaccine and when? It was really interesting uh, to see them like kind of think through like where they would rank themselves in distribution and how they moralized behavior. So we had one student who was a super spreader. She was always like only ever going to get the end of day case. Um, I had one example who was a school teacher. She was always first in line in our distribution. Right. So like an ER doctor or a nurse seems really obvious to me. But once you get beyond that frontline worker delineation that seems really obvious, you get down to grocery store clerk or, you know, factory farm worker or HVAC technician or member of Congress. I mean, how do you create an ethical structure that is fair in that instance? Uh, You can come up with different systems of distribution. So you could start very simply with a utilitarian distribution. So if we give to some people sooner than others, some people are going to be benefited and some people are going to be harmed. And in any utilitarian calculus, is the good that you're doing outweighing the harm that you're causing? So theoretically, I'm in tier three because I'm an educator, but if if I weren't an educator by demographic, I would be in tier five. That harm to me might look something like, I don't get to go out as often, Um, I may not get to enjoy some of the freedoms that somebody who's already vaccinated might get. If I'm a small business owner, there are certainly impacts to my business and the way that I do business or even my opportunity to do it that somebody who's vaccinated would not suffer. But from utilitarian calculus, if overall more good is done by prioritizing this group of people versus another group of people, totally fine. Like that makes sense. And John Stuart Mill would say that as somebody oriented towards the public good, I should be okay with that form of distribution. That should not bother me. 
because we're all kind of in this together for the overall progress of society. John Stuart Mill is a utilitarian uh, in the school of thought originated by Jeremy Bentham. Justice theorists don't like utilitarianism because of the way that it marginalizes individuals or will sometimes infringe upon individual rights for the greater good. And so you could look at somebody like John Rawls, an American philosopher who taught at Harvard, and his most famous work is A Theory of Justice. John Rawls would say that for whatever burden that a group of people or an individual faces, there needs to be a compensating benefit. He calls this the difference principle. And so if I'm burdened by my place in line for this vaccine, then I should get some kind of benefit that offsets the burden. So to go back to an example of a small business owner, I may not be able to work, I may not be able to open my business because of where I am in the vaccine line, but the benefit might be that I get some kind of stimulus, I get some kind of protection, some kind of relief from debt because I've had to wait longer than somebody who was able to get the vaccine and go about their business sooner. And Rawls would say, ultimately, that's more fair and how we should distribute goods and resources in a society. Getting back to the, the sort of way they set up the distinct list of people who gets the vaccine when, then things change somewhat, whether for policy reasons or whatever. And, and just, let's just pick public school teachers. There's a push to reopen schools to in-person learning. Teachers are placed in a certain category. As that then changes, what are the ethical issues of changing that list and moving teachers up and moving other people down? I think the problem with the initial rollout of the vaccine was the belief that it would become immediately available, widespread, and everybody would be able to get it in the tier that they were in. And the uneven rollout of the vaccine and different counties not knowing how many shots they were going to get, what to do with the end of day shots created a reorganization of who should get it and when should get it. And so I think the lack of coordination about how much, when and where created a moral panic about deservedness. And it didn't allow for time for people to stop and reflect about, OK, if now this resource is, is smaller than we thought it was, what should we do about it? And so I think moral panic is sort of setting in um, with how we're thinking and talking about this vaccine. Very specifically, we've heard these stories of vaccine centers running out of appointed people before they run out of doses. And then they go through some process, which has been a little bit disorganized, it seems like, to then get those doses in arms before the doses become unusable. If I'm sitting in my office and I know that there's a, a vaccination center next door and suddenly they call me and say, I'm not in a category that should be getting the vaccine, but I should go over there now and get it stuck in my arm. What's the ethical sensibility that I should go through then? There's so much there. <laughs> and I think it's really fascinating to think about. So you get this phone call that they have an end of day dosage that you could get and you're essentially line jumping. On the one hand, you could look at it as an example of moral luck. You were in the right place at the right time and you bear no burden and would not be judged negatively for benefiting from that moral luck. I think where this end of day 
scenario gets complicated is luck is not evenly distributed in a society. So if you happen to know a pharmacist who has end of day doses and they call you, well, how is it that you happen to know a pharmacist? Do you know a pharmacist because you are of the same race and of the same socioeconomic class? And in our culture, that tends to cluster together. And so the inborn advantages that we have uh, or the cultural advantages that we have have created that luck for you. And you didn't come by that luck arbitrarily. There's all sorts of ways that people are creating their luck. And that's where this issue becomes more morally problematic than just this random, I got a call and there's a dose and I'm going to go over and get it. Going back to this sort of listing of how they, you know, put out the vaccine and, and what category people are in, nobody is just one thing. So I might be in the category of over 65 to get a vaccine, but I might be in another category that somebody else would say, well, I shouldn't be on the list to get it. Let's say I'm an inmate or I'm undocumented or something like that. And, and I've seen online other people complaining about these folks shouldn't be in a category to get a vaccine because of some extenuating circumstance in their life. As you see those stories and they're everywhere, what goes through your head? What goes through my head immediately is the thoughts of Robert Nozick, who's a philosopher associated with the libertarian school of thought. Nozick says that any attempt to create patterned distribution to account for inequity is going to be worse than the inequity itself that you are going to get bogged down in pattern after pattern after pattern. You'll essentially be playing like a kind of moral deservedness whack-a-mole, trying to create the perfect distribution system. And if you just, in Nozick's thought, left it open to you know, market forces, as long as the transfer was just, then that is a more just distribution system than what you would come up with by trying to pattern it. most devastating impacts of COVID-19 have been felt disproportionately within minority groups, including black and brown people. But the current vaccine distribution hierarchy is inoculating mostly white people. I asked Professor Banco if he thought North Carolina, where we live, has an ethical obligation to make sure marginalized groups get vaccinated. I think they do. If the, demo, if the demographic information I have is right, North Carolina in 2018 was 63% white, 21% African-American. Uh, but that is not how the COVID virus has been experienced by you know, different demographic groups. It's the, our state is a little bit better than other states. Certainly New York City, New York State has had a problem with their demographics. Uh, but if there is a group of people who are more prone to coronavirus, then it makes sense to vaccinate them before another group uh, who is less prone to coronavirus, not just because you wanna prevent illness, but you want to protect their, their larger interests that would be harmed or damaged uh, by having had coronavirus. What is their access to healthcare? What happens if they are short or long-term unemployed? Right. Um, susceptibility to this, this virus is not necessarily an indicator of poor physical health. Uh, this is a virus that seems to indicate poor social outcomes for individuals 
in terms of where they live and where they have to work and how many people they have to be around. Uh, the ability to isolate oneself is definitely a socioeconomic advantage or privilege. How would you view the ethical right of individuals to refuse this vaccination, even though that's likely to expose others to the spread of COVID-19? I think there is no one easy answer to why somebody would refuse this vaccine. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar wrote a very interesting op-ed in the New York Times calling for NBA players to be vaccinated because they would serve as public role models for the African-American community who are distrustful of the healthcare system after Tuskegee, um, after Henrietta Lacks, um, after experiencing systemic racism in the distribution of healthcare. And he argued that if NBA players made a public showing of getting vaccinated, that would have a net positive effect on the African-American community who is maybe more resistant to signing up for this vaccine or at least signing up for early access to this particular vaccine. And so hesitancy along those lines troubles me less as an ethicist than anti-vaxxers who don't believe that this virus is real, don't believe that this vaccine is real or have attributed to this vaccine some part in a nefarious plot by the government to like control us all. So I don't think we can have just one answer to vaccine hesitancy. Uh, and I think if we want to understand the place of you know, this vaccine in a larger public health conversation, we would have to ask why certain groups are hesitant to get that vaccine. What ethical questions that have popped up in the last year do you think you'll be teaching classes 5, 10, 15 years from now? It just seems to me that so many ethical questions that we might have thought of as, you know, just as an average person like me, theoretically, now are like everyday decisions. What things are going to just linger past the pandemic? I think this pandemic has been an interesting opportunity to think about the social contract and how interconnected an economy can be. So the first thing that happened with this pandemic was, where do I get my groceries? How do I get my food? And do I have a moral responsibility to shop in one store or at one restaurant versus another? Because in our economy, if I hire an Uber driver, I might be the vehicle for them keeping their health insurance. I don't know that pre-pandemic we ever thought about other ancillary goods that we could be doing by shopping at one place versus another. We may have thought about the environment and some hesitation about shopping from Amazon. Uh, we might have thought about where goods were made and whether they were made ethically. But I think this pandemic has gotten us to think about how do I support people who need jobs because we tie healthcare to jobs in our, for at least for now, in our economy, in our society. So I think a question of the social contract is gonna be something that's gonna stay with us for a long time. Stephen Benko is a professor of religious and ethical studies at Meredith College. More in a moment. 
There are things we're taught not to discuss in polite company, but by avoiding so-called impolite conversations, we're missing out on the chance to make important connections with each other. I'm Anita Rao, and I'm on a personal journey to uncover just what happens when we open ourselves up to talking about taboo topics that affect our bodies and our brains. Find out on Embodied, a new podcast about sex, relationships, and your health from North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC. As we just heard, the vaccine situation puts all of us in a daily test of our ethics and morality. And as it turns out, it also tests our state loyalties. Southeastern Virginia, including Norfolk, Portsmouth, and Virginia Beach, has a deep connection to the northeastern part of North Carolina. Many residents of the Outer Banks and the region around it hold a stronger connection to the Tidewater than they do to the Triangular Triad. Sam Turkin is a reporter at public radio station WHRV in Norfolk. He heard rumors and stories that some Virginians were crossing the state line to get the COVID vaccine. So he decided to take a little drive to Currituck County. I'm at a park where they're giving out vaccines. There's a long line of cars. I'm seeing some cars with Virginia license plates. I've seen two so far. That's three, four... Just because they have a Virginia license plate doesn't guarantee they live there. They could have moved, or they may have a second house. North Carolina officials wouldn't tell me how many Virginians have been vaccinated there, but it's definitely a topic of conversation in Hampton Roads. On the neighborhood social networking site next door, residents post and argue about the fastest way to get a vaccine. And that desperation for shots comes with criticism of Virginia's rollout. During a recent news briefing, Governor Ralph Northam said the frustration is justified. Everyone wants to get their shot now, and I get that. But we are reaching more people every day, and the pace is increasing. It's not surprising that people are going to look to get a vaccine where they can get it. Professor Vivian Reefberg studies the economics of healthcare at the University of Virginia. She says so-called vaccine tourism is happening across the country because some areas are getting shots out quicker than others. They also may have fewer restrictions or just a smoother process for booking appointments. Reefberg says the benefit is that more people are getting vaccinated. Still, the federal government distributes vaccines based on state populations. So when people get their shots in another state, it can confuse the allocation system. Also, It may not be as equitable for those people who are not in a position to travel easily, to take a day off. A Maryland spokesman says there's evidence Virginians are getting vaccines there, too. Officials in both states ask that residents not do that. What's your response to all of that? I actually have some personal recriminations about potentially taking a vaccine out of the arm of a North Carolina resident for whom it was intended. John, from Virginia Beach, believes he got the vaccine because there weren't enough locals who wanted it. At least that's what he hopes. He didn't disclose the name of the clinic. Despite his reservations, he's scheduled to get his second dose there later this month. The pandemic and the vaccine has put all of us in the position of having to justify our choices to create an ethical or moral framework that will help us sleep at night. 
For John, it's the notion he formed without evidence that he's only getting the vaccine because he wants it, and his North Carolina neighbors don't. The pandemic has laid bare our notions, good and bad, of what it means to live in a community and how we think about and treat our neighbors, or who our neighbors even are. When the pandemic ends, or at least subsides enough to return to some sense of normalcy, what will we do with that knowledge? That's it for this episode of Tested. I'm Dave DeWitt. Our producer is Rebecca Martinez. Amanda Magnus edited this episode. Lindsay Foster-Thomas is the executive producer. Thanks for listening.